I feel like we're going to learn a lot about the Oklahoma Sooners this weekend. Big 12 play is upon us, and it brings the Red Raiders of Texas Tech into Norman for their annual showdown. However, Texas Tech is down their starting quarterback, Alan Bowman, and they're forced to start either Jet Duffy or Rice transfer Jackson Tyner. This obviously presents an opportunity for a growing OU defense to build some confidence teeing off on a backup quarterback. Now, the dirty little secret about Texas Tech so far this year is that their usually potent offense has taken an obvious step back in the first year sans Cliff Kingsbury. Even with a healthy Allen Bowman running the show against overmatched Montana State and UTEP, Tech's offense struggled to push the ball down the field. Just two weeks ago against an Arizona defense that was 124th in the country going into that game, Tech's offensive line, that includes five returning starters from last season, consistently struggled to block Arizona's front, which was a lot of the time a three-man front. Something isn't right in Lubbock on the offensive side of the ball right now. Now, Jet Duffy did have a smidgen of success against OU's defense last year in one half of action. He threw for 139 yards and two touchdowns, and he also ran for 47 more yards. But that was with Kingsbury calling the shots. And his counterpart, on the other hand, the Rice transfer, Jackson Tyner, has virtually had zero college success to speak of. In three seasons at Rice, he played in 14 games and was a 45% completion guy with 1,048 yards, four touchdowns, and seven picks. Uh, just, just not a pretty stat line at all. The conventional wisdom going into the season was that OU would get two solid tests of their defense in September. However, when it became clear that Houston is still having issues transitioning to the Holgerson offense, the mind immediately fixated on Texas Tech as the first real test for this defense. But reality doesn't match up with conventional wisdom at all. Judging Texas Tech objectively based on this season, their offense should not pose a major risk to Oklahoma this weekend at all. There are major challenges coming down the pike for sure, but Tech really shouldn't be one of them. Any feelings to the contrary are purely emotional based on past season's data. If Tech comes out on Saturday and looks like a Cliff Kingsbury-coordinated offense against OU's defense, then should probably be prepared for another long season on that side of the ball. Here's to hoping that that does not happen. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Sermon some more. Sermon wants some more. Forget the yards. How about another touchdown? Trey Sermon. And it's an even 50 for the Sooners. Trey Sermon gets us rolling today on the latest edition of West of Everest. His 30-yard touchdown run last year against Texas Tech gave Oklahoma a 51-40 lead with less than three minutes to go in Lubbock. It was Sermon's third touchdown of the day. It was a game in which he had 26 carries for 206 yards and those three scores. The Sooners went on to win it 51-46. What's up, everybody? I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with his opening take. We'll bring him back right after I make this pitch to you all. Let's continue to grow the show as September comes to an end and October arrives. We've had consistent numbers since the season began, and Grant and I want to keep branching out and growing the West of Everest audience. So how can you help? Number one, word of mouth is great. Tell your Sooner fan friends, Sooner fan family members, 
people at work, basically anyone who you think would like this show. It's actually kind of cool. I found myself uh, kind of asking around at work and, and not necessarily even asking around, but coworkers will come up to me and I find out that they listen to the show. People that I had no idea even listened to podcasts or would even be into Oklahoma football. So that's pretty nice. Uh, I always love finding out that people uh, have found the podcast and are enjoying the content up to this point. So spread the word and also keep those ratings and reviews coming on iTunes. The more ratings and reviews a show gets, the more iTunes will promote the show and make sure that prospective listeners see the show when they're searching for college football type podcasts. And lastly, it's up to Grant and I to continue putting out podcasts that you all want to consume. We take this show very seriously. Grant and I know that you're choosing to listen to us. You can go a lot of places for Oklahoma football content, and the fact that you all take the time to listen, whether it's for 10 to 15 minutes or for an entire show, we want to make it worth your while. Grant and I both consume a bunch of podcasts, and it's easy for us to tell when the host or the hosts are not really all that prepared or are kind of mailing it in for that day. So we try our best to not do that here. So if you all spread the word and leave us feedback, we will continue to give you the hot OU football talk that you've come to expect and enjoy. So with all of that, bring him back, Grant, and the floor is yours, Grant, if you've got anything that you'd like to add to what I've already said about the show and our listeners. When did the whole like hot OU football talk, when did that become a thing that you decided that you were going to start saying? I don't know. Uh, in the summertime because it was hot, maybe? Okay. If we were talking Oklahoma football, I don't know. Go back into the archives, figure it out. I can't remember the first time I said it. Okay. Yeah, no, I just kind of feel like it's become sort of a bit now, and it's, I don't know. It's it's sort of a, I'm, I'm just kind of giving you a hard time, but anywho. No, I, I just, I, I echo everything you say. We appreciate everyone who listens. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, sometimes when you're listening to a podcast, it's hard to understand the amount of work and the time commitment that goes into it, so... Um, any sort of feedback or anybody who listens is it's just, it's just greatly appreciated. Um, as I tell everyone who who kind of always reaches out, I just love talking about OU football. I like I want to connect with as many OU football fans as I possibly can. Um, this is this is just a lot of fun, and I, I appreciate everyone who makes it possible for us. All right, with that, let's talk some OU football. And I think the easy first order of business today is the Trajan Bridges story and the fact that he's been working out a little bit with the safety group. Lincoln Riley was asked directly about that on Monday. Riley said that if anybody permanently changes positions, then he'd tell us. So based on that standard, Bridges has not yet moved exclusively to the defense. Although I will say I just came across this on Wednesday night as we are recording it. And I got to give credit to Tyler Palmatier of the Norman Transcript. He and uh, a couple of other OU Beat media members get a chance to talk with Lincoln Riley on Wednesday nights, kind of in a, a small, more intimate setting. No cameras are allowed, things like that. And there's a new quote out from Lincoln Riley in regards to Trajan Bridges. So I'm going to read it here because this is the newest information we have from Lincoln Riley on Bridges. So I'm going to quote here from Tyler Palmatier from the Norman Transcript, but this is from Lincoln Riley. Quote, I don't move players. If players have an interest in it or – not in this case, but at times we have moved players here in the past where we think it might be a good idea. We'll suggest it, or they're always. It's been very clear to them they're open to come talk to us about it if it's something on their minds. But I don't make those decisions. I give suggestions, I give my opinion, but if I go move somebody that doesn't want to move, 
What have we accomplished here? Riley continues. Again, this is from Tyler Palmatier of the Norman Transcript, quoting Lincoln Riley. The quote continues from Lincoln Riley. My job is to give my opinion, but if a player moves, it's in the end because that's what they want to do. So with that being said, this has gotten way further in the media than what it is. It's, I'm not going to go into much detail on what it is, but it is far from a permanent move. He's a talented kid, but you know, we'll see how it plays out. It hasn't been nearly as big a story within these walls as it's been outside of them. So that's a quote from Lincoln Riley, Monday, uh, Wednesday night, rather, on uh, Trajan Bridges and that whole thing. Uh, I will now go back to Monday to Alex Grinch, who had his most recent media availability, and he was asked about Trajan Bridges, and I think we got a little bit more info on the story back on Monday. So here's what Alex Grinch had to say about Trajan Bridges back a couple days ago. Well, that's just something that uh, Trajan talked to, to Coach uh, Coach Riley about, and, and uh, you know we, we, we may get in the recruiting recruiting war, recruiting a bunch of guys off of offense if uh, if he allows us to. But uh, no, that that was something that was brought up by him, and, and, and something that uh, take a look at and kind of kind of go from there. And so verdict's still out, and uh, obviously he's a, a quality player, quality kid. Um, and he'll uh, he'll ultimately be a high level player at Oklahoma in one capacity or another. Okay, so that's Alex Grinch's perspective on the matter. And Grant, before we talk about this, I have some more sound to play because I think it's smart to get a player's perspective. And Patrick Fields, who's a safety, as we all know, was there Monday night, and he was asked about Trajan Bridges. And here's Patrick Fields talking about uh, his teammate who has an offensive background but has now been working out with the defense. Yeah, you know, he, he, he's been playing fast. Um, you know, he, he's, he's still trying to you know, pick up the defense and learn things, of course, because he's very new to it. But, you know, he's playing fast, being aggressive, you know, always around the ball. I think it just, you know, speaks volumes to, um, you know, the type of program we have. You know, guys, guys, you know, just want to see our program succeed. And, you know, they're, they're willing to sacrifice, you know, what, whatever it takes for the team. But, you know, he's done a phenomenal job. You know, the first game against Houston, he came down, made a big uh, tackle inside the 20-yard line on kickoff. So, you know, you see the, the glimpses of the ability of him to, you know, play defense and be aggressive. All right, so you've heard Alex Grinch. You've heard Patrick Fields. I read you that quote from Wednesday night from Lincoln Riley. We've got a lot of information coming on in on this Trajan Bridges development. Grant, your thoughts? Certainly really intriguing, isn't it? Um, I feel like the story so far has been less about what could happen on the field with Trajan Bridges switching to defensive back and more about just sort of the kind of the inner workings of the program and the decisions being made and logistics of of either, you know, keeping that information secret or, you know, what to do when the media finds out. Because um, honestly, if you really think about it, we're, none of us know at all what's going to happen with Trajan Bridges as, as a defensive back until we actually see him play defensive back. Um, I said this to you before we went on. I think I said it on Monday, actually. And it was, I was mostly joking, but I'm actually kind of serious. But the fact that Lincoln Riley is so gung-ho about denying it or downplaying it we can almost take as confirmation that Trajan Bridges is going to start at safety on Saturday. <laughs> and and I, I know it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but um, that's not the first time he's ever used that, um, that quote about it being a bigger deal outside these walls than inside of them. And I'm trying to remember when he first used that. It was last year sometime, and it was, it was to describe something that was actually a big deal that he was trying to downplay. Um, and I'm trying to, I, 
I'll rack my brain over the course of the show. Um, but yeah, I've been trying to think of that ever since I saw the quote about an hour ago. I've been trying to think what what was the other instance he used that. Um, but no, I, I think know. it's yeah, it's I, it's obviously really yeah. interesting. Safety has been the biggest question mark on this team through the first three games of the year. Um, and now you have Trajan Bridges, a guy who has flashed a little bit, especially on special teams, uh, making tackles and whatnot. And he's got, you know, the five stars next to his name. And he played both ways in high school. And so we all know he's an elite level type athlete who is long and pretty big back there for his safety. And so I think everybody's imagination sort of run wild. I'm guilty of it. When I first heard of this, I started to think, or if course, like your imagination starts to run wild, like, oh man, what if he's the missing piece? What if he's uh, what if he's magically just like the all American that they've been missing on the back end for the last decade? Um, but the reality is, none of us know until we actually see him out there. He could be fine in practice, and then they throw him out there, and it's a total disaster. We have no idea. Um, as of right now, I think I'm just gonna kind of I'm gonna play it by ear. I'm gonna see what happens on Saturday. Um, if I was a betting man, I would say he probably won't play safety on Saturday. But, um, man, if he does, I think that tells you all you need to know about how the coaches feel about their safety situation right now. So I want to go ahead and plug this while I can right now while I'm thinking about it. So as we record this Wednesday night, I'm kind of between newscasts at News 9, and I'm putting the shows together today. And our 10 o'clock show Wednesday night, we're going to have Dean and Dusty Dvorak talking about this Trajan Bridges situation. And if you go to our News 9 website, by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be up. The whole raw Dean and Dusty talk back will be on our website. But I'll try to get the uh, stuff from the actual show at 10 o'clock on our Facebook page, things like that, on uh, on my Twitter account, at, uh, at Lee Benson News 9. Anyways, point being, Dusty has heard a little bit about Trajan Bridges and playing with the safeties at least this week. And and so he's got some really interesting stuff to, to say about Trajan Bridges, and it's very positive. And it leads me to this question of, you know, could we actually see Trajan Bridges playing defensive back in, this, in a safety spot this season? Because I was talking to another guy who knows a lot about Oklahoma football but isn't super close to the program and – and his thought was kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm hearing this. I'm not so sure I'm that interested in this store because let's be – I mean, this has got to be one of those things where they're thinking, you know, long-term, like, oh, maybe he'll switch positions and then next year or something, maybe he'll compete. And I said, well, no. I mean, the way I look at this is I think that this is legitimately like a thing where we might be able – we might see him this season some point. And so I think it's interesting, depending on who you talk to, somebody maybe outside the program would hear about this and think, ah, oh, no way that this is a thing that will happen right away. Whereas I think you and I, and kind of knowing the situation at safety, it's very believable that if he's good enough and he shows them something that he could be out there at some point this year, maybe pretty soon, which is kind of insane. If you think about it, considering he's been playing wide receiver since he got on campus back in uh, whenever it would have been January or whenever they get into campus during the spring. Yeah. I mean, when you stop and think about it for just a second, it, it gets a little, it does get a little concerning. I'm not going to say it's a total disaster because like I said, we don't, we don't know yet. Um, but yeah, I mean for them to, so the, the line has been that it was Trajan Bridges. It was his idea. And he went to coach Riley and Grinch about making the switch and I just, I don't think they would say yes to that if they didn't feel like maybe it was something they needed. So, um, and yeah, I mean, that's a little concerning, especially going into Big 12 play. 
We faced three teams up to this point that really haven't been able to challenge those safeties. And that's not going to be the case going forward, especially in two weeks in Dallas. So um, it sounds to me like they're maybe looking for some for some quick fixes there this year. And, you know, I think the only possible way that this turns into a quick fix that's viable is if Trajan Bridges is some sort of just under the radar, amazing natural safety. And the chances of that panning out and that happening, I mean, I got to say, are not great, right? You wouldn't think so. Uh, I know he did play a little defense in high school. I know Dusty, uh, Dusty has said that he was a really good defensive back in high school. I was looking at his stats, and I saw that he only had something like 12 tackles his senior year, had, had one interception. Not sure how much he played. Not an expert on Trajan Bridges' high school career. I know he was one of the best receivers, if not the best receiver at his high school uh, ever. But uh, clearly a very talented guy. Overall, though, I absolutely love this whole story, Grant. I, I just I don't know if, if any of this is going to matter, but I do love the idea of a guy with the talent of Trajan Bridges trying to help out in the secondary. And, you know, we talk about it a lot. At least I talk about it every once in a while, so maybe not a lot. But, I mean, playing safety, I think safety is a more difficult position to play than corner because at corner you're – you say, hey, man up there with that guy. I mean, or play like a zone, but the zone's going to only be maybe half the field or maybe a, a smaller portion of the field compared to what a safety will have to be responsible for, which sometimes is the entire field if you're playing single high and you got to make sure nobody gets behind you. Oh, by the way, uh, the field's super wide. You got to have your eyes looking everywhere to make sure no one gets back there. So I think safety's a very difficult position to play. And by the way, I'm not sure which safety position he's, he's practicing at. I don't know if he's playing free or if he's playing strong, I don't know. Uh, it's be curious to see which one it is. Either way, though, I think there's a lot of responsibility for that player, and there's just not enough time to fine-tune anything. So, in other words, like I said a moment ago, Bridges has worked out at wide receiver since the spring, and expecting him to switch to defense during a bye week and then becoming some sort of a player with a role is probably wishful thinking on our on our ends. However, though, you know, we've been hearing all along about the simplicity of this speed D from Alex Grinch. So what if it's so simple that a guy with Bridges' talent could legitimately come in and give Grinch another option in the back end? Think about it. You got Tech this weekend, then you got Kansas next week before you have Texas. And we're going to go into this a little bit, but both of these teams, and you kind of talked about it a little bit in your opening take, both of these teams may not be very good. And I'm talking – even on the offensive side of the football for a team like Texas Tech. So these next two games could be decent opportunities to get Bridges some actual snaps in a game if Oklahoma is serious about this. So Yeah, Lee, and, and, and just sort of to touch on what you were saying about the, the difficulty of just playing receiver and then trying to pick up the safety position. This is one of those scenarios, right, where let's say the hypothetical situation, let's say Bridges does step in and he is an impact player almost right from the beginning at safety. Um, you're right. That does sound like wishful thinking, but if that is something that is happening, that's probably evidence that Trajan Bridges is an NFL level type talent at that position, right? I mean, I, who, who else would be able to pull that off? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, you're going a long ways for that or just a really high level college player. That's, That's what I'm trying to convey is that if, if he actually is able to, you know, pick this up and step on the field after a week or two of practice at the position, um, that, that is evidence to suggest that this guy may be a special type player. That doesn't mean he's going to be an all American this year, 
But if it's something that is able to pick up that quickly, that's that's not something a lot of people can do. And of course, it's only been special teams, but at the very least, we've seen him show a willingness to you know to get his nose dirty and tackle. That's for sure. Absolutely. So I don't know. Yeah, I think this is. I, I agree with you. I, I like this story too. It's it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, you know how much of it is wishful thinking, like you said, probably quite a bit of it on on the fans' part, and that's okay. That we're fans. That's what we do. Um, so, uh, but I mean, yeah. If let's say Bridges gets in there and he plays a lot this year and he's an impact player. And let's say like he, he turns around the fortunes of, of the defense. He's an OU legend. I mean, for the rest <laughs> of his life, right? Wow, you're he's a legend. Yeah. Hyperbolic. I know, but hyperbole. That that's why it's a cool story. It's like it doesn't and this is this is not the first time this has ever happened at OU. I mean, as recently as Micaiah Quick, you know, moved over from receiver to corner and and played a little in two, in twenty sixteen. So and Jaqueline Crawford just moved over, and we haven't heard of you know him making any waves or anything like that. So yeah. uh, it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, what, I mean, what if he gets in on Saturday? We're gonna have a lot to talk about. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the worst case scenario, worst case scenario in this situation, it's just you got a five star receiver getting reps in the secondary. I think if it doesn't work out, and maybe he's not good enough to actually play in a game. I think what this will serve though is another reminder to those safeties, to those corners, that they need to be on their A game if they want to keep getting snaps in this defense. Because at the very least, this just shows that Oklahoma is continuing to want to add competition to make its team better at every single position. And we've heard that from Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch. And and they continue to, to back it up, not just talk. They actually show us on the field that they put all, all these different players in. So... Man, stay tuned on this story. This is pretty interesting. Uh, I will say we had quite a bit of Facebook questions and comments kind of leading into this. Uh, our longtime listener, Sydney, wanted us to talk about this. And uh, hopefully that whole last segment kind of answered your question a little bit, Sydney, about kind of, you know, whose idea was this and and uh, kind of what some of the players, at least Patrick Fields, was thinking afterwards. Do you think I it was Do you think Sorry, it was mostly Trajan's idea? Yeah, I do. I believe that. Yeah. And, okay. Because think of it this way. He... He's not dumb. He sees that wide receiver room. It's it's massive. And he's a guy that still, even though he's only had a, a couple big plays, he's still a guy as the season went on, could probably get a little bit more of a role in that room because he's really good, along with Jaden Hazelwood, and then you throw Theo Weiss in there too. But at the same time, though, I mean, I think back to, and this is, a, again, I was at the qualify with a much lower level. I think back to starting high school, and, you know, we moved to a, a new high school and we were new. And I remember that everybody wanted to play wide receiver and running back and play offense. And, and I was this new kid that I didn't know anybody. And I didn't know if, if I'd be able to stand out, really, if I played this position everyone else did. So I thought, you know what, the best chance I have to play is maybe play defense. And so I decided to play defense in the secondary and that worked out. So maybe Trajan Bridges is like, you know what, I really want to play this year. I mean, I, yeah, I could. Sit, sit out. I'll probably end up not redshirting because he'll probably play enough games to not redshirt. But he's like, you know what? I want to make an impact this year, Coach. Let me give, let me, you know, give me a shot at safety. I can. Well, do he's this. definitely, he definitely wasn't going to redshirt. I mean, he's been their best player on special teams. They, they're he's so, playing so, on yeah. special teams. And I guess that's you're right. And that's I didn't uh, explain that very well. My point being, like, he's not going to redshirt. At the same time, though, his role would only be special teams and here and there. You know, if if he keeps playing well maybe he'll carve out more of a role as a wide receiver but that's such a deep room 
that maybe in his mind's like, you know what, I want my first year here where I definitely am not going to redshirt. I want to have more of an impact, and I think I can have an impact playing defense. So I definitely believe that he's the one that that went to the coaches with it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Just um, he 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 has the reputation as well as being kind of like a gamer, a bulldog. Um, he was, um, I think. He was the he was the wide receiver MVP of one of those rivals five star challenges when he was a four star guy and that gave him his fifth star I remember and that that was kind of a big deal going up against all the best receivers in the country and he was the MVP of that thing so this is a guy who has a reputation for being ultra competitive being a gamer and uh, I don't know I, I'm just I'm. I'd like to see him back there just to see what it looks like because I think he would, at the very least, bring, like I said, a willingness to tackle and certainly a different body type than anything they got back there right now. And I just think it'd be interesting to see how he moves out there. All right, good stuff on Trajan Bridges. Only other part of the news and notes I think is uh, worthy, and if, if there's something I'm missing, let me know. But Lincoln Riley announced on Monday that Kenneth Mann will be available against Texas Tech. So, Kenneth Mann will make his long-awaited debut, it sounds like, on Saturday. The only question is, at one capacity, will that be? How many snaps will he get? I have no idea. You know, you've talked about how he's had his best moments at Oklahoma in 2017 when he was more of a rotational-type player, a spot pass rusher. And now in this scenario with the defensive line playing so well and him being kind of behind probably – you could see him kind of having more of that role again now in 2019. Don't know how much of impact impact he's going to have on Saturday, but it's always good to add depth, especially to a group, a defensive line group that's been very solid so far, Grant. So Kenneth Mann should be available or, or will be available. I shouldn't say should. Lincoln Riley said he will be available on Saturday. So good news for the defensive line. Yeah, I, I mean, it's great. I mean, there's there's nothing, there's never anything bad about getting an extra body on the defensive line, especially one that has... I mean, what, like eight career sacks, give or take? Something around there? He had, in, in 2017, he had something like five, five and a half. Or, I was going to so say, I thought he, it was either five and a half like or six and a half. Year? And then he had like two last year. Okay. Yeah. So. He just, he was kind of just, I mean, he was fine. You know, he wasn't, he was kind of just there last year. Last year, yeah. He, he wasn't, an impa- he was not an impactful player at all last season. He had that, uh, I mean, you think of Kenneth Mann in 2018, you probably think of that interception against Army where he, the ball was batted in the air and he made the interception. And I mean, that was a big play, but, you know, he was, he was there, he made the play. But outside of that, I can't really recall any. I mean, he had a couple sacks, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy that, to me that kind of just did his job. And, uh, yeah. So we'll see if he, you know, was given those snaps in this new defense what he looks like because he's part of a defensive line group and a defense where they're afforded to make plays and get up upfield and get into the backfield. So we'll see. All right. Let's go over to Texas Tech and, and preview this team. And you mentioned a lot in the opening take. Alan Bowman, we know, is out. Again, I messed up one of our more recent podcasts. I thought Bowman missed the last half against Arizona a couple weeks ago. He didn't. He played the whole entire game. You and I both watched that game. Uh, Matt Wells, you know, Hasn't named a starter yet. I know you talked about the quarterbacks in your opening take between Duffy and Jackson Tyner. So first question I have for you, Grant, and I know you talked about it a little bit in the opening take, and so I guess I'll go ahead and go first here. The question I wanted to pose is how much of a downgrade is it to whoever plays quarterback more on Saturday from a guy like Alan Bowman? And I haven't you know, made it a secret on this podcast that I like Bowman a lot more than you do. 
But I will say, even I was pretty unimpressed with his performance against Arizona a couple weeks ago. And we have some numbers on this Arizona defense. I know you shared at least one of them during the opening take. We have some more numbers to share in a bit about this Arizona defense. Uh, and So that's a bit of a tease forward to kind of give me an idea of how bad this Arizona defense was going into that game. But as far as Bowman goes, you know, I knew he didn't have a very strong arm. But, man, it really stood out to me more than ever in that game that he just does not have much pop. Uh, he was checking down a lot. And this is even in the first half before he was injured. He threw it 55 times in the game. He averaged just 5.6 yards per pass. So, as you mentioned in your opening take, they weren't throwing the ball downfield. They're having a tough time getting it downfield. I recall just one downfield throw completed, and it was a TJ Vasher early on to set up Tech's first touchdown. That was really all that I remember. And, you know, also you throw in a couple of bad interceptions he had in the first quarter. One was in the end zone, and it looked like a miscommunication between him and the wide receiver. And then his second pick was just a, a really bad throw over the middle in the first quarter. But uh, I believe Texas Tech's defense turned over Arizona the next play, so that turnover didn't really hurt them much. You know, I'm not so sh- I'm not sure, honestly, how much of a downgrade Duffy or Tyner's going to be because I, I just wasn't all that impressed with what I saw from Bowman against what's been a pretty bad Arizona defense early on in the season. So... I think it's probably going to be a slight downgrade, but not as much as I probably would have thought going into this season. Uh, yeah, Alan Bowman just – he, uh, yeah, Cliff Kingsbury must have really been getting somewhere with him, but he's still trying to figure this offense out, it looks like, uh, under Matt Wells. And their, uh, their new offensive coordinator, whose name is escaping me, but I know him and Alex Grinch are pretty good buddies. Yeah, I I thought you nailed that, actually. That's almost mirrors my thoughts exactly. I, I think it's obviously a downgrade to the backup – um, but I, I sort of share your skepticism and, and how much of a downgrade it is uh, because Alan Bowman was just and, and we I only was able to watch highlights of the first two games because the full games weren't available anywhere online. Um, but Alan Bowman was very unimpressive against Arizona. Um, and I, I just I can't when I watched him, I, I just I couldn't help but thinking the same thing I thought when I watched him last year. Just not a whole lot of arm talent there at all. Um my my opinion last year was that it was really Cliff Kingsbury that was getting a lot out of him. Um, and after watching him in that Arizona game, I mean, that those opinions are, are pretty crystallized in my mind. Um, guy just is he's just not that talented. He's not that talented of a player. Um, so I um, in terms of, you know, is Jet Duffy going to be a bigger threat to throw the ball? No, but he's definitely more of a threat to run. And um, in an offense, especially an offensive line that struggled to protect their quarterback so far, at least they definitely did against Arizona, um, and a team that really hasn't been able to throw the ball downfield at all, I, I almost think that Duffy's legs could play better in this offense for what they've been trying to do because they, I mean, they couldn't push the ball down the field against Arizona whatsoever. They didn't have enough time. Yeah, I agree, and that's the thing. Jet Duffy last year, just to remind everybody, he came into that game against Oklahoma in the second half. He was 9 of 17, 139 yards, threw a couple touchdowns, had 13 carries for 47 yards, and a touchdown there as well. And while we're both kind of, well, you more than me, saying some negative things about Alan Bowman, it is worth pointing out that through one half of football last year, he was 21 of 26 for 227 and two touchdowns against Oklahoma, which I know Oklahoma's defense was bad, but he performed against Oklahoma and I think if he doesn't get injured in that game Oklahoma's in a lot of trouble and may lose that game to Texas Tech and in Lubbock last year so you know who's to say if he was 
healthy, maybe he would play well again against, even though Alex Grinch is the defensive coordinator. I don't know. But uh, just wanted to but throw this those offense stats is out different, there. man. This o- their offense is different than it was yeah. last year. It doesn't. A lot of formations and stuff may look similar, but they are not operating at anywhere close to the efficiency and explosion that they were under Kingsbury. They've they, they've taken a, a fairly large step back on offense this year. David Yost, by the way, is the offensive coordinator, and uh, talking to Alex Grinch again. I actually I should mention I wasn't there Monday night for Grinch's availability, so I watched back the stuff that uh, Brian Mueller, uh, our sports reporter, went out there and got. And uh, he mentioned, Grinch mentioned that I guess him and Yost are pretty close, pretty good friends. They talk a lot. So that's kind of interesting, I suppose, uh, because of his times at Missouri. And there was another, maybe, was it Washington State? I can't, I can't remember. But uh, anyways, that's the, the quarterback situation. Uh, and we talked a little bit about this game against Arizona that they had. And by the way, coming into this game, Texas Tech's offense, 508 yards per game. That's a top 20 total offense team, but yards per play-wise, just six yards per play, which is 63rd in the nation. So, okay, that's, that's okay. That's fine. It's, it's not what you would expect, though, from a Texas Tech team. It seems like the yards per play is a little bit higher under Cliff Kingsbury. You go to this Arizona game. They managed only 411 total yards and only 5.1 yards per play. So, obviously, the worst game of the year for Texas Tech's offense. You think, okay, Arizona must have a pretty good defense. Well, (laughs) coming into that game, and you mentioned it a little bit, Arizona was allowing 595 yards per game. They were almost dead last in total defense in NCAA. In fact, they were ranked 127th. They were ranked 124th in opponent yards per play. They're allowing 7.5 yards per play. They're allowing half third down conversions to be converted. They were allowing more than five yards per rush, 5.3 yards on the ground. They were allowing more than nine yards per pass attempt, which is 104th in the nation. The one positive you could say about Arizona's defense going into that Tech game, takeaways. They had six takeaways going into that game. Granted, all six of those takeaways came in a loss in week one, or I guess week zero was it against Hawaii. So... That was a bad, bad Arizona defense on paper going into that game, and Texas Tech could not do anything against it. And I came away, Grant, after watching that game, thinking, like, man, Arizona's defense is pretty solid. Like, they must be much improved. And I saw those numbers. I thought, oh, no. This defense is a a typical Kevin Sumlin defense. It's not very good. Uh, So that's kind of alarming if you're a Texas Tech fan that you were able – that you were unable to stretch that team – and, and do much against that Arizona defense. How about other, how about another thing that, that's got to be worrisome if you're a Texas Tech fan, and this happened the week before Arizona. Lee, they played UTEP at home. UTEP, a lot of people think they are the worst program in all of FBS, and they certainly might be. They only averaged 5.4 yards per play against UTEP the week before, Lee. Ooh, yeah, that's bad. That's really, that's, that's really bad. So I, is, I mean that is really bad. Yeah, I, you know Arizona has given up 159 yards a game on the ground. Tech only got 104 with their kind of rotation of running backs. They had three different guys playing here and there, so they're not really quite sure what they're doing. They're not, they don't have a you know one guy playing running back. I guess you could argue that Oklahoma doesn't have one guy either, but Oklahoma has right now three guys who can carry the rock very well. <laughs> doesn't matter because the offensive line's so good. But yeah, I mean, so this is a. Uh 
I mean, and obviously they've played three games. Things can change. It wouldn't be the first time that a team has come out flat in the first month of the year and then got hot offensively. But early returns, Lee, suggests that Texas Tech's offense is kind of bad, actually. Which is kind of, yeah. which is kind of weird it's, to say, right? It's, it's very weird to say. And the way I would put it and the way I have it in my notes here is uh, – the offense for Texas Tech, it just doesn't seem very scary to me right now. But, you know, my brain kind of tells me to proceed with caution. But that's getting emotional. And I like that you put that in your opening take is that, you know, anything to the contrary, if you're kind of concerned about this, it's really it's because you're basing it off of emotion and things that you've seen in the past, not necessarily what you've seen right now. You got to think, though, Oklahoma has been susceptible, at least the last game, up the seam. Pressure in those safeties, getting them on an island. Texas Tech hasn't been very good stretching the field. You got to think that Matt Wells and Yost have seen that, and they're going to try to attack those safeties as much as possible. So even though this defense is not that, uh, I'm sorry, this offense is not that scary, it may not matter, especially if, you know, with two weeks to prepare, if these guys come in with a good game plan. Sure. But at the same time, to take shots at safeties a lot of the times, Lee, you need time you know, for those routes to develop and to protect your quarterback. And they were calling plays in that Arizona game like they didn't trust their offensive line to protect Bowman at all. So, I mean, how, yeah. how realistic is it going to be for them to dial up long shots on the safeties if... Because, I mean, Oklahoma's front is a lot better than Arizona's. So, and Arizona saw really wasn't blitzing of, a whole lot. saw a lot of those quick pass plays into the slot to get, uh, you know get the defensive backs come up and make tackles, which was an issue against Houston at times. So you'll see a lot of that, I'm sure, as well from Texas Tech. So we'll see if Oklahoma tries to neutralize that by playing a lot more press coverage, maybe getting their slot guys up and getting a hand on those players near the line of scrimmage to, to maybe take away those giant cushions to make those throws easy, especially with a backup quarterback coming in, whoever it's going to be. By the way, Matt Wells says that you're going to see both quarterbacks at times, but he didn't expand on how, you know, what that means or how much you're going to see each guy. I would I find expect the whole, Jet Duffy to, to play most of the game. I was going to say, I would be shocked if Jet Duffy's legs are not the main component of Texas Tech's game plan coming in. It's got to be, right? I, I don't know how, at least, I mean, that's what I would be doing. So, um, mm -hmm. use his legs to try to extend drives, you know, pick up first downs on third down and whatnot. But, yeah, the whole... Uh, their their other backup Jackson Tyner that whole thing is kind of interesting. He was a he was a walk on at Rice, and then a grad transfer. So and he was a guy who never was a starter at Rice either. So I think you definitely have to question whether or not this guy has the chops to play in the Big Twelve. Um, I mean, yeah, just looking at his quick stat line, and of course I can't really find anything of you know online of what he actually looks like playing. But yeah, quick look at his stat line, and that, that's the guy I want playing. For Texas Tech, for sure. <laughs> but also at the same time, if you would have told me two years ago that Ky you know Kyle Kemp at Iowa State, that he was going to come in and throw for like 350 and four touchdowns or whatever it was, I would have said you're crazy. So, yeah. But like I said, Gosh. I mean, hey, we, there is no evidence this season to suggest that that's going to happen. So any, any fear that we have of that is based solely off of emotion and us being hurt in the past. That, that's that's all it is, and it's understandable. I'm, I'm feeling it as well, which is why I put it in the opening take. Um, but, I, yeah, I'm just trying to say, based off the material evidence that we have, um, th this is probably not the best offense they've seen this year. It's probably still Houston. 
All right, Grant, outside of the quarterback, let's just give a little bit of time to some of the players that the West of Everest faithful should kind of be aware of, watch out for. We mentioned T.J. Vasher briefly. Just uh, He had a big catch, a nice catch against Arizona. He's their big guy. I know Parnell Motley was asked about kind of shadowing him or going up against him uh, this week. I mean, that'll be a big test for Parnell. I mean, T.J. Vasher's a big dude. Was he go about 6'3", 6'4"? He's 6'6", uh, I think. Six is that big? Yeah. So, I mean, we haven't seen Parnell go up against a guy like that yet this year. So, we'll see how he fares. I mean, he's been playing so well at corner. Um, as far as the running backs go, again, I mentioned a moment ago, it's like three different guys that are getting carries. Shine, Henry, and Thompson. Uh, to me, Shine, I mean, against uh, Arizona, he looked like the better, best player, and he had the most carries of them all. But none of the running backs seemed like they were able to really find any good running room, and which is interesting because, yeah, their offensive line is supposed to be the strength of the team. All the experience there, but not be able to run the ball very well against a bad Arizona rush defense. Yeah, I feel like the only time they really had any sort of success running against Arizona is when they would is when Shine or, or, the, or the other guy would kind of find, like, cutback lanes. That was really the only time they really ever had any sort of success. A lot of the times they would just sort of run inside zone and then they would be able to get back in a cutback lane. That's sort of the one thing that I could see giving OU a little bit of trouble with their really aggressive kind of kind of gap attacking scheme. I could see them just attacking the wrong gap at some point in time and them being able to, you know, to, to hit the cutback. But I just... This is not a team that scares me like really at all with their ability to get the ball down the field. I could see this. This uh, I think he's a, either a grad transfer or maybe just a transfer. McLean Mannix just catching passes like swing passes and passes up the seam and, and giving Oklahoma a lot of trouble though. He had a really nice long catch and run against Arizona. Caught a touchdown pass. Nice throw from Bowman in the back of the end zone. He seems to be the only other guy next to Vasher who has done anything in the receiving game for Texas Tech. Yeah, I could change against Oklahoma, but yeah, uh, I mean, they the, got, only, the only two guys that flashed against uh, against Arizona. Yeah, I mean, Vasher made a really nice play in that game that I'm I'm assuming was probably on SportsCenter the entire weekend after that. Um, yeah, I, Vasher is the guy that you need to pay attention to in, in, their, in their receiving core. And then, yeah, you, you mentioned Mannix, but they, just, they basically just have three other guys behind Vasher that are all grouped together. And the numbers, they all have pretty much the same stats. Um, yeah, they, they all have between 137 and 164 yards in three games. Um, so, you know, I, I Vasher is the guy that I think the defense needs to be the most worried about. All right, let's switch over to the matchup between the Oklahoma offense and the Texas Tech defense. So first of all, what does Tech do on defense? Obviously, they have a new coaching staff. Matt Wells is in there, and he's had a reputation for having Utah State teams that play some pretty good defense. Granted, that's in the group of five. But you look at the defensive stats, at least total defense and yards per play, it's really good. Texas Tech's only allowing 306 yards per game, which is 32nd in the nation, and Tech's only, averaged, uh, only allowing 4.5 yards per play, which is 25th in the nation. And then against the pass... Texas Tech is third nationally against the pass, allowing only 133 pass yards per game. What I saw from them a lot, Grant, was it seemed like they wanted to rush three, three down linemen quite a bit. seemed like they would spy Khalil Tate with Jordan Brooks in the middle of that linebacker a decent amount of time, and they'd kind of drop back in that cloud coverage a bit. Uh, 
looked like a team that was very susceptible to me to running the ball. And opponents have been able to run the ball pretty well against Texas Tech. 172 yards per game, 87th in the nation. So uh, it seems like maybe Texas Tech, what they're trying to do is avoid big pass plays against them. And maybe uh, in that cloud-type coverage that Iowa State likes to run a little bit where they're keeping everything in front of them, top-down, as Alex Grinch likes to say. But uh, this looks like a team that you can run the ball against very well. And we know Oklahoma can run the ball you know, maybe better than anybody in the nation. And they can throw the ball almost better than anybody in the nation. It's the best offense in college football. So that's what I've seen from the Texas Tech defense. The question is, you know, is this defense as good as some of the stats suggest? I, I don't think it is. I, I don't think it's going to be – I think it's going to be obviously a rude awakening for Texas Tech on Saturday. Uh, Arizona's offense is fine. Khalil Tate doesn't do a whole lot for me, to be honest with you. Uh, Khalil they, Tate, at, at this point in time, is virtually no threat uh, to complete a forward pass. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I'm, he, he's yeah. just not a particularly good thrower. And, you know, he had a good rushing day against Texas Tech. He had a huge 84-yard run where he just – zone read, and he just ran past the entire defense. But uh, – I'm not so sure this tech defense is as good as some of the numbers suggest it to be. Yeah, it certainly looks like what, they're. Yeah, what do you think? It, I mean, it definitely looks like that they are. They're really fixing to get get punched in the mouth with the run game, uh, especially against an offense that that can hurt them with the run game. Um, you know, I thought they were pretty good against Arizona for the most part, outside of you know the aforementioned long run from Khalil Tate. Um, Arizona did have to have to work for pretty much all the yardage that they got. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, outside of them, they haven't faced any sort of offense that, that can stretch you and, and, and the amount of ways that OUs can. And, you know, Texas Tech's defense might be a lot better this year. I think the, the chances of, of that, you know, being shown against OU, I think are really low. I think OU's probably going to be able to do whatever they want against Texas Tech. Like they always do. I just, I, I, <laughs> Like I, Texas Tech is gonna have to prove it to me, and and I know like they they are playing a lot of that dime defense with the with the tight front with the three down linemen that Texas or that Iowa State has kind of made famous in this conference, and you know I'm sorry but that doesn't work against OU. It just doesn't. It it does against some of the other teams, but you know the only way that that works against OU is if they shoot themselves in the foot, and it's just. It's not going to work unless you can really hold up in the trenches. And Texas Tech has never been able to hold up in the trenches. I don't know. I have no reason to believe that they're going to be able to now. Tech had not forced a turnover all year until that Arizona game, and they took the ball away from Arizona three times. So uh, they forced three turnovers. Again, hadn't done, hadn't forced any going into the game. They've allowed 36% third down conversions. So... Not great, but not terrible. About middle of the road, middle of the pack there. Some of the better players on defense, just some names to watch out for. I already mentioned Jordan Brooks. Lincoln Riley mentioned that he's as good as any of the linebackers Oklahoma has seen up to this point. And he said his development kind of reminds him of Kenneth Murray's development. And another player that he mentioned was defensive tackle number 96, Broderick Washington. And Riley mentioned that Washington, he says, is probably the best defensive lineman that Oklahoma has seen up to this point. I wasn't watching, you know, with an eagle eye in the Arizona game at the defensive line, but Washington didn't necessarily jump out on tape at all to me in that game, but that doesn't mean that he's not good. I trust Lincoln Riley's eye a lot more than mine. 
Did you notice anything from Broderick Washington? It seems like no. you kind of noticed the line a little more than I do sometimes. No, Jordan Brooks was really the only player on their defense that that consistently stood out to me. As and not even in the sense that like, oh wow, that guy is like overwhelmingly awesome. It's more of just like, okay, that guy is clearly the alpha male of their defense. He's their best player. Um, he's 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 good. He's a he's a fine player. I'm talking about Jordan Brooks. I I didn't notice Broderick Washington. I heard people talking about Broderick Washington last year too, and did absolutely nothing against OU. So, um, yeah, yeah. We'll, I just we'll see. Watching back some of the game from last year, OU Texas Tech, and they still did a lot of that three down lineman thing where it just the numbers don't seem to to be in Texas Tech's favor, and then Oklahoma, especially in the second half, just running it down their throat with the the, the old GT counterplay. It's just hat on a hat. And Oklahoma just has the advantage, and I just can't help but think that's going to keep happening if Texas Tech keeps running out that that idea where they got three down linemen and they have their their linebackers kind of away from the line of scrimmage, spread out a little bit, trying to kind of lessen the the throwing lanes and the throwing cushions or whatever. But yeah, it's I'm kind of with you. I think Oklahoma's offense, like they do against a lot of teams, should be able to do basically whatever they want. Yeah, and this is you know, and the reason why the tight front and the just drop eight isn't gonna isn't gonna consistently work against OU is because they have NFL players on the offensive line, and they have NFL running backs and NFL receivers and all of that stuff. You know, when you when you play that tight front and you have the three down linemen, one of the things that you're giving up is your numbers advantage in the box. And the idea of that is you're putting more people on the back end to cover guys and routes and whatnot, and you're trying to control the running lanes with five or six guys in the box. When you're going up against NFL offensive linemen and NFL running backs and an offensive system that is run really efficiently and really well, that's just not a great combination. And it's just, I, I, I've been saying it for a long time right now, the way to get after OU is to put pressure on them. And that doesn't work a whole lot either, but... I think this drop in eight against OU is just a, I mean, it's a slow death for sure, but you're certainly going to die if you do it. Because if you don't put any pressure on the quarterback, you're screwed. Completely screwed. All right. Let's move on to the part of the show where we talk about what we want to see happen in this game and also what will happen, and that will include our score predictions. So, Grant, you want to go first? What do you want to see happen when Oklahoma takes on Texas Tech at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Yeah, so I'm mostly gonna I I'm gonna focus on the uh, the offensive and defensive lines. Um, I think OU has a very very clear advantage on both sides of the line of scrimmage going into this game. And as always, I want to see him leverage that advantage. This is a Texas Tech offensive line that returned five starters from what was a pretty good unit last year, and. I mean, they're obviously calling plays to not get their quarterback killed, so they don't have a lot of a lot of confidence and and that offensive line pass protecting. That's a perfect moment for this Oklahoma defensive line, which has clearly emerged as the strength of this defense, maybe really one of the strengths of the team overall. Um, they've been a really good job at done a really good job this season of causing habit causing havoc and getting into the backfield. So I'd like to see a continuation of that. Um, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with TJ Vasher. I don't think that they're just going to put Motley on him the entire time. That seems kind of like foolish, sort of foolish. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they double him a little bit. Um, so I, I would like to see that because I think he's really the only guy in their passing game that can really hurt you downfield. Um, other than that, though, on the defensive side of the ball, I would really like, I'd like to see them squeeze the life out of Texas Tech 
a Texas Tech offense that has really struggled to push the ball downfield, which means I want to see them up, aggressive on the line of scrimmage, challenging the wide receivers, and getting into the backfield and not letting Texas Tech, not give, not giving them any sort of room to breathe or to operate. And of course, moving over to the offensive side of the ball, I uh, I want to see the dominance of Jalen Hurts and the Big 12 running running the football. I think we're going to start seeing, pr- probably as, as the season goes on more and people have more body blows piling up over the course of the season, I think that's when Jalen Hurts is probably going to be a lot more effective. But I think we're going to see a bit of a preview of it in this game, especially with Texas Tech coming out with their three down fronts, trying to keep everything in front of them. This is where you're going to start seeing the preview of Jalen Hurts physically dominating Big 12 defenses. Um, I, I want to see them run for, for 350 yards in this game, and I think they might be able to do it. It's certainly not unprecedented playing against Texas Tech. What do you think? All right, I'll start on the defensive side of the football. If Texas Tech is going to decide that they want to call some plays, some shot plays where they do ask their offensive linemen, the incredibly experienced offensive linemen, to pass protect for a while, I do want to see that Oklahoma defensive line get after whoever's back there. I'm skeptical, though, because of Jet Duffy likely going to be playing and Matt Wells is going to know that Duffy is not Alan Bowman in there, so he's going to be probably wanting to run a lot more. So uh, I, we're going to see more, I think, De'Eric King than we're going to see a guy like Alan Bowman, which is frustrating because Oklahoma still has not really faced a quarterback that's a straight drop-back passer. I get it. It's college football in 2019. Those guys don't really exist lot. anymore. Yeah, they don't really exist anymore. And, and honestly, DTR from UCLA is kind of more like that. We finally saw him use his legs a little more last week against Washington State with some successful results, as we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, yeah, so I, I would like to see the defensive line continue playing incredibly well, get after the quarterback a bit, make them uncomfortable. Yeah, I, you're going to see the corners up on the line. You always do. That's that's one of the Alex Grinch staples. You're going to see Parnell Motley. You're going to see Jaden Davis. You're going to see Trey Brown up on the line of scrimmage, challenging those wide receivers who uh, – not who, but what about the players in the slot when they're in trips formation and twins formation – you're probably going to still see a lot of the same where you see a lot of cushion there. So what I want to see is the safeties. Delarian Turner-Yell, Patrick Fields, show some improvement whenever they get stretched or they get challenged up the seam, which I'm sure Texas Tech will see on film and want to do. I want to see some improvement there, uh, playing kind of that coverage when they're on an island, knowing that it's them versus their man. Don't get juked. Keep everything in front of you yet. Also make a nice play on the, on the football. So I want to see improvement out of the safeties. And speaking of improvement out of the safeties, I do want to see Trajan Bridges in the game playing legitimate snaps at safety at some point. I, I want to see it because I think that if we do see it, it'll mean that they're serious about this and that he's pretty good. And they need some sort of injection of life in the back end. It hasn't been terrible. It hasn't really cost him at all yet. But down, you know, down the line, it probably will. It probably will. So I do want to see some improvement there, and I like to see Bridges out there playing safety. Offensively, I like what you said about running the football. Just be smart, no turnovers, run the ball down this Texas Tech team's throat because that's what they're going to be inviting you to do for some reason because they don't want to get beat deep, and just kind of run your offense. Uh, do what you do. Get a lot of players involved. Get the running backs involved. Jalen Hurts, continue to kind of – feel things out don't look like you've had two weeks off come out energized rested and ready to go Lincoln Riley made a point during the bye week on Monday saying that hey it's an early bye week 
This isn't one of those bye weeks where we're going to be resting guys and trying to get healthy. We're going to push them to get better because we're far from perfect. And they're going to, I want them to be eager and excited to be out there again after having a week off. And uh, I want them to be crisp and score a lot of points. So that's what I want to see. Standard, what you want to see. Uh, and special teams-wise, how about this? I'm kind of curious to see what happens with Callum Sutherland. You know, he was arrested. It was addressed by Rowley at the Monday presser. I don't know. They said it'd be an internal. They'd be they'd handle it internally. They didn't say anything else about that. I'll be curious to see. Is he going to be the kicker on Saturday? I, I don't know. It's a small thing, but I'm kind of curious to see what happens there. Um, let's see. All right, so that's what I want to see happen. What will happen is the next thing, and since you went first, I'll go first with this one. Oklahoma right now, this line has changed, man. I think it opened at something like 24, OU by 24, and it's all the way up to OU minus 27. So a lot of money coming in on the Sooners against whoever plays quarterback for Texas Tech. I mean, this is a game, Grant, where Oklahoma should cover. They should win comfortably and cover that spread, even at 27. I mean, they should be able to beat Texas Tech by more than four touchdowns. But will they? I don't know. This is tough. They're all tough because at this point, Oklahoma doesn't have any value because they're so good. And you got to pay a premium to bet Oklahoma because they're so good. But knowing this Texas Tech offense has not been able to stretch the field, has been kind of out of sorts. You have a new quarterback in there that hasn't been getting all the reps throughout the offseason, throughout the summertime. And a quarterback that's not as good, most likely, as Bowman, again, but not as much of a drop-off as you might think or as I would have thought maybe three weeks ago. That being said, I think Oklahoma's going to give up some points. Jet Duffy will be able to make some plays with his legs. I think it's, it's wishful thinking, even though this Texas Tech offense has not looked all that great, it's wishful thinking to think that Oklahoma is going to be able to hold them to something like 14, like they held UCLA, like they held uh, you know South Dakota, whatever, South Dakota. They should have held them to zero. But uh, I'm gonna, I'll give Texas Tech a few touchdowns. I'll give them 21. But I think that Oklahoma's offense, you should – they got to be able to beat this team by four touchdowns. So do the math there. I'm going to say Oklahoma wins this one, 49-21. It's a pretty square prediction, slightly covering the spread. Uh, I'm not that confident in this. I'd like to see the defense do a lot better than that, obviously. But, again, I, it's tough for me. To, I, I, can't, I can't back Tech if I was going to you know, play the spread. So I think Oklahoma should be able to win this one by more than, more than – uh, or by at least four touchdowns. So I'll take Oklahoma 49 21 that's my roundabout what will happen grant what is your what will happen i think ou is going to win 52 to 24 i think they are going to cover that spread ever so slightly i think this texas tech team lee is probably closer to like west virginia than they are to oklahoma state or or even tcu for that matter um i just don't think this is that very this is not a very good team coming in and i think they are a little bit improved on defense but we're speaking relatively in those terms. So um, I, this is a game I don't think OU is going to have a lot of problem. I think they're going to show up and they're going to beat them fairly easily. All right, short and sweet. I like it. We have some listener questions from Facebook that I just want to touch on a little bit, and this will kind of lead into our UCLA-Washington State discussion. Let's start with Brad on Facebook. And I kind of like this question because I hadn't thought of it until I, I read Brad's question, and it's a good point. He says... How come when an SEC team changes 
to the spread and scores 60 and gives up 30 in a game, it's a great game. But if Oklahoma does it, and the D is still considered questionable. Example, LSU versus Vanderbilt compared to, say, Oklahoma versus Baylor last year. Similar result, different media opinion. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I am an expert on how the media came away from this LSU-Vanderbilt game. I know LSU put up 60-something. I think, what, did Vanderbilt score 30? It was something like 60. 38. You know the score? It was 62 okay. to 38. Okay, and I mean, Vanderbilt's offense is probably not that great. It's fine. Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, do you know, like, was there was there people out there saying, oh, man, what a great game from Vanderbilt? Or I, I, it's a legitimate question because obviously, the, okay, the obvious story, though, sorry, I'm rambling. The story is LSU scoring a bunch of points because LSU has been a team that cannot score for the last basically my entire life. <laughs> so, but I do think it is relevant that LSU gave up all those points to Vanderbilt, which I, that's Brad's point, I believe. So I don't really have a whole lot on this, but I, I do think it's interesting. Uh, C.D. Lamb was asked about that a little bit too and in, in about the Big 12 and other teams, and he was kind of frustrated by it as well, saying something on the lines of like, well, I mean, in the Big 12, you know, you score a lot of points. You, have team, you play Big 12 teams, you score a bunch of points, and uh, I can't – 100% remember his quote, but I just remember him being kind of kind of annoyed by kind of the same kind of question that Brad's answering. So I'm going to stop talking now because I only have a point. Grant, maybe you have a point that you'd like to get to, and I'll stop wasting time. Sure. Um, it's an interesting observation. Brad's point is well taken, I think. Um, but there's, I, I think there's an obvious difference here. Um, the SEC consistently puts first-round NFL draft picks into the NFL, and the Big 12 does not. Um, I think that's the biggest difference. And if you actually look at the box score for LSU Vandy, uh, Vanderbilt barely averaged over five yards per play. So if you go by that metric, that was a pretty good performance by LSU's defense, actually. Mm, um, okay. You know, I, I, I understand what he's saying. And I, I think I heard someone else make the point, too. You know, what's going to happen this year when, when LSU and Alabama play a game into the 40s, which it kind of looks like they, they might do because they're two really good passing offenses. Um, honestly, I think it's just more of a reflection of where football is going. And really the big 12 has been at the forefront of football innovation for the last decade. And I think that's probably why you see a lot of the, the weird scores in the big 12 throughout the years and the early part of the decade, because they were playing a different brand of football than everyone else was. And I think a lot of programs and a lot of NFL teams are starting to, you know, starting to understand the you know, what's good about the spread offense and dropping back to pass and how efficient it can be. It's just the game is changing a lot. And the SEC was going to was gonna catch on to that eventually. Um, and, you know, like I said last week, I'm, I'm not ready to live in, in a world where LSU is a dominant passing team. It's weird. It it's feels very weird. But I think it's, it's really good for the sport and it's really good for the SEC. Because right now, I mean, if you pulled me right now, um, what, what is it, September 25th is the day we're recording this? I think LSU should be favored over Alabama in the SEC right now. I think that I think their passing offense looks better. The only <laughs> like, thing is that isn't that isn't that game going to be in Tuscaloosa? It's so in te- it's in Tuscaloosa. I'm not really thinking about that yet, but so I mean that's fair. But this is yeah. this is the best chance that but LSU has is, to compete with well Alabama taken. in a decade, and it's because yeah. they've they've made this switch and they're they're able to complete forward passes. Throwing the ball is is much smarter than running the ball. It's a lot more efficient. <laughs> 
it's you you have a much high a much greater chance for an explosive play. It's just it's it's just in terms in terms of a math problem, it's just a lot smarter to throw the ball more. All right, Brad had a bunch of questions on our Facebook page, so I, let's kind of go rapid fire a little bit. I don't have a whole lot of answers to this next one because I haven't done a lot of research yet. But Brad wants to know: Do you think all the Texas defensive injuries will be a big or small factor in the Red River rivalry? Uh, are these long-term injuries? I mean, they don't play still for another couple of weeks. I mean, they they say they got Tech this week, they got Kansas the week after that, then they have Texas. I mean. Well, I know they had like a lot of secondary guys out against Oklahoma State, but is this going to linger into you know a few weeks from now? I don't know. Do you know the answer to that question? Yeah, Grant? I mean they got th- they have three starters who will certainly be out for OU Texas. B.J. Foster, Caden Stearns, and Jalen Green will all be out for that game. Okay, yeah, that's so. their starting. They're starting. That's their starting free safety. They're starting nickelback and their and their best corner. I mean that's that's pretty significant. Well, that's a problem. I mean, take yeah, your, I mean it's a. Th- it's a Take big the problem off for Texas. Oklahoma's defense in those spots, and Oklahoma's oh gosh. Yeah, this is big, big problem for Texas. I mean, they play, and they play dime. They play six defensive backs probably, at probably seventy five percent of the time. So, um, yeah, when you take out maybe their three best defensive backs, ah, eh, I mean Brandon Jones is is probably their best defensive back, but um, take out those other guys. I mean, yeah, that's a huge deal. So. I mean, you always know the saying with rivalries, though. You throw out the records and whatnot. But, I yeah, you can't take off three of their best players on their defense and just say, yeah, that's no big deal. I think it's a huge deal for them. Speaking of OU Texas, I've found that I think I'm in the the vast my, <clears throat> excuse me vast minority in this. But I just I have zero interest in talking about OU Texas until it's OU Texas week. I I, I don't. I mean, I just don't. I don't see the point because. Oklahoma has a different opponent and then another opponent like worry about Texas when Texas gets here I I just don't I don't find it interesting to talk about well the idea is that when people look at the schedule it seems pretty obvious that we're not going to know anything about OU until they play Texas I get that but man I again this might be just me kind of clearly I'm very biased but I'm just not that I'm not that concerned about Texas really at all it's just Oklahoma is so much better than texas and i agree that texas might win the game but yeah that doesn't really change the fact that man program wise oklahoma is just at a different level than texas so it's just kind of like eh. i mean obviously there's a difference between oklahoma and oklahoma state i mean what do they call it little brother a lot because i mean you look at that historical standings or the the record and oklahoma's way up here and oklahoma state's won very few of those games overall i know ou texas is a lot closer i think texas actually has more wins all time over Oklahoma I think Uh, yeah this actually this may be kind of a weird like opinion and it's probably because I don't live in the state of Oklahoma but honestly I've never really I've never personally ever viewed Oklahoma State as much of a rival to be honest with you I don't really hate them they don't they don't annoy me that much in my lifetime they've beaten OU what three times (laughs) I just I've, yeah, and, and a, this is this is not to throw like shade just to be mean I but I've, I've just never really considered them much of a rival and I have nothing against Oklahoma State either I mean part of my job is to cover Oklahoma State and honestly I want Oklahoma State to do well and they're got good I like my gun listen to this and they're thinking you what you want the, I, I do it's it's good for my business I I I mean Mike Gundy is is fine I mean I I really like Tylen Wallace I really like Chuba Hubbard they seem like really good dudes, or really good players. Uh, Spencer Sanders, he's a really fun player to watch. I like him too. Uh, I, 
going on the basketball court. I, I like Mike Boynton a lot. Mike Boynton's a really good guy. Uh, and I don't care about the basketball gritty. team. I'm not. I'm not going that far. Well, Who cares? the only reason I only reason I throw that out there is because they just had a they had their first practices this week, and so we were talking about it in the newscast. So it was fresh in my mind. But uh, anyways, nobody cares about our thoughts on Oklahoma State. Uh, by the way, Texas is uh, is leading the all time series against Oklahoma, sixty two, forty seven and five. Texas leading it. So in case anybody out there wanted to know the the overall record. All right, uh, this uh, last question for Brad. I think uh, he, this came in, I think, maybe Monday before all the De'Aaron King stuff was kind of official or not official but finalized. But isn't the thing now where he's going to just redshirt but stay? Yeah, that's, that that's, yeah. That's, that's sort of the line right now. But, like, is that really going to happen? I don't, I don't know. That just seems uh, weird, right? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, this, this story, I, I, I was kind of interested at first, but I – I don't care right now. It's yeah. I'm until actually something, until something new happens. I don't care. It's it it's sort it's an interesting anecdote. Like when I saw it, you know, when I when I saw the the story break, I was interested. I was like, oh, that's. But then the only thing anyone wanted to talk about was him going to OU, and I'm sorry, that's that's a take that's only made by people who just aren't close to the program and don't understand exactly. how this stuff has worked. Exactly. So I, I that's yeah. I, I I sort of wanted to check out as soon as people started talking about OU. People, people just don't know what they're talking about at all. And just to be clear, why is that? Because, well, Spencer Rattler happens to be at Oklahoma. He is the next guy. And, and also, it's like... very good. And also, like, the, the narrative is out there. Like, it was Lincoln Riley who went out and, like, hunted down Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Like, no, them transferring to OU was kind of, like, really interesting circumstances. Like, it wasn't even... that. Like, Baker Mayfield wasn't even recruited to come here. He just showed up as a walk-on. <laughs> there and then, was more of that for Kyler than there. I mean, there was zero of that for Baker. Yeah, I mean, Kyler. But, and, yeah, and Kyler was a Ky, Kyler was your traditional transfer. He came in after not loving his time at A and M, and he came here and he sat for two years. And then Jalen Hurts was just a, was was that one year gap that I think you know that once once that news broke that they were looking for someone, I I thought it was fairly obvious that was. You know that was a sign that Riley didn't think Austin Kendall was the guy, so a one-year stopgap to get to Spencer Rattler or Spencer Rattler or Tanner Mordecai made just a whole ton of sense. And so, yeah, I mean, the people talking about Derek King to Oklahoma just don't pay him any mind. They don't know what they're talking about. All right, and finally, we had a, a couple of people that are that were just saying basically, uh, definitely talk about that UCLA Washington State game and kind of what it means for Oklahoma's defense if. You know, if anything, so let's transition to that. Uh, you know, watch a little bit of that as it was happening live. Went back and watched it again just so I could get full context of the the game. Grant, I here's my takeaway. I honestly don't know if this has if this says a whole lot about Oklahoma's defense, and here's why. And it's kind of fascinating to me because I was watching the uh, the Pac-12 Network has their game of the week, and they do it like you know Pac-12 and 60, and they they cut it up all the different plays, every play of the game, and sometimes they'll throw in some sound bites from the post-game press conference. And after one of the the plays where Dorian Thompson Robinson threw a touchdown pass, they cut to him in the post-game, and he said, "quote We played Oklahoma last week, and they play kind of the same defense." We got the same look that we got against Oklahoma, and the player took uh, took advantage of it. So in my mind, UCLA clearly they you know they didn't play that well against Oklahoma's defense, 
And Washington State came in with a lot of the same principles, and they were more used to it. And granted, 67 points is insane. They had a, you know, they had a special teams touchdown. They had a defensive touchdown, I think, too. They but, scored I mean, 50 Thompson points Robinson, in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think it says as much as you might think because I, I do think, weirdly, Oklahoma playing them before that, I mean, DTR said it. I mean, they must have seen something in Washington State's defense that is very similar, which makes sense because Grinch was there two years ago that for whatever reason they were able to exploit after halftime. Granted, in the first half, uh, yeah, they they looked like UCLA. They had a couple big, you know, a couple nice plays, but I mean, what a choke job for Washington State. I mean, that's what I take away from this. I mean, Washington State choked that game away. Like my goodness gracious, uh, that, that was, game was that was nuts. That game was awesome. That game was so awesome. I love college football so much. Um. And I mean, a, a total dumpster fire of a game. Like it's not not necessarily was was pretty or anything, um, but yeah, I mean UCLA played way better, obviously, last week than they did you know two weeks ago against OU, and especially in the second half. Late, I actually watched that entire game live. I don't know why. I don't know what I was doing up that late, but anywho, um, UCLA they were matchup hunting in the second half. They found the guys that they knew they had a matchup advantage, and they just kept picking that scab over and over again. And it, it just kept working. So uh, not something they were able to do against OU. So, um, and yeah, I, I don't know if there's much to take from it, but Washington State now, Lee, has played uh, two of the same opponents that OU has. And I think OU defended both of those opponents better than Washington State did. So, well, the other one is Houston. And Houston, Washington yeah. State, Washington State certainly defended Houston better in the second half than Oklahoma did. That's for sure. But I would, but yeah, but Houston pretty much did whatever they wanted to do on offense in the first half of that game, especially like 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 OU very obviously kind of like was physically a lot better than Houston was, and that that distinction was not obvious at all when Houston played Washington State. So um, I don't know. <laughs> I just I just find it hilarious that with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Washington State was up forty nine to seventeen. <laughs> Crazy. Totally crazy. And, and UCLA scored 21 points in the final four minutes of the third quarter. Oh, it was, yeah, I know. It was, yeah, the thing, I was actually close to going to bed, and then UCLA went on that little flurry. And I just remember thinking, like, I couldn't believe how quickly they made it, like, into a game. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was yeah, it, was it was pretty nuts. sweet. Yeah. All right, we have, uh, we have like, five minutes. So, unfortunately, we got to go somewhat quick through the our picks portion. Uh, Big 12 games this week. Kansas is at TCU. Okay. Uh, TCU losing to SMU was not what I thought would happen last week, so that was annoying. TCU, hey, you know what? Get Gary Patterson a quarterback, and maybe his team will be good. No quarterback. TCU is going to be mediocre again. Looks like they don't have a quarterback. Even, you know, Delton's not playing. The other guy seems to have trouble, too. Uh, Duggan. So I didn't see that game fully, but when I was wa- actually I was watching a decent amount of it because I was waiting for TCU to try to at least tie the game and then maybe get the lead so they could maybe cover the nine points. Never even got even, and it just the defense kind of let him down a lot too in that game. I, I think I saw a stat where it was like the only something like the fourth or fifth time that a Gary Patterson team, maybe not even that much, has allowed forty or more to a non-conference opponent. I, that was a kind of a random stat, but. Uh, I'll let you. Do you have any quick thoughts on that TCU, like what they are? I mean, because boy, what a disappointing loss to SMU. Yeah, I was on TCU minus nine and a half as well, and or was it minus nine? It doesn't matter. It was nine. Um, it doesn't matter. They they lost outright. Yeah. So. What a, I mean, 
and and man, all the sharps were on SMU too. So I just really? thought, uh, oh, yeah, I was I was like, oh, these guys don't know what they're talking about. But yeah, I mean, TCU is just not very good. Pretty obviously, you don't you don't lose to SMU at home and and be a good team. So, um, and I know SMU is four and zero, and it looks like they're they're kind of rolling a little bit, but. Still, I mean, Shane Bouchelle is their quarterback. Yep. All right, uh, Iowa State at Baylor. Interesting game. You know, Iowa State's a three-point road favorite, but that's a classic. Uh, you know, we think Iowa State's a little bit better than Baylor. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a game I'll, you know, I'll definitely pay attention to. Check that one out in the afternoon. Uh, the other Big 12 game, we're going to pick this one, is K-State at Oklahoma State. So let's. Do you, I mean, do you have anything you want to talk about with Iowa State or Baylor? If, I mean, I don't. No, I have. I, I have. I have no feel for that game whatsoever. I haven't seen Baylor. I haven't seen Baylor play once this year. I haven't yeah. seen one of their games yet. So I, I don't I, either. So I, yeah, I have I no Iowa feel State for it against against Iowa. I saw them a little bit last. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, so um, all right. So let's go to the the picks. Grant, you had a nice week last week on the podcast. You were three one and one. I had a bad week. I was one three and one. Uh, the game that we both pushed was OSU Texas, and it's because the line we picked was six. Uh, you were on Texas. Uh, you know, I think the line ended at five and a half. So I mean, you would have had Texas, and uh, so yeah. Anyways, overall, you're uh, ten nine and one. Overall, is that hold on? That that might not be right because that's an extra game. That's twenty one games. So maybe. Well, I'm. No, I it's not. Minded. That's that's most certainly twenty. Ten plus nine is oh. nineteen. Plus one is twenty. Yeah. My math skills uh, are are waning right now in the uh, the wee hours of the night. So yeah, my bad. So yeah, you're ten nine and one. I'm nine ten and one. So you and I both continue to hover around five hundred on the podcast. So unless you're making a major bet on one of the games that we're getting right, you're not making any money. But you're not really losing any money if for some reason you're betting these games, uh, you know, from the podcast. Anyways, let's quickly go down the list. Uh, some interesting ones this week. Somewhat. We'll start with Virginia at Notre Dame. Virginia's unbeaten. Notre Dame obviously coming off the uh, the loss to Georgia, but it's a lot closer than y'all thought. Uh, I think we were both on Georgia in that one, and we were both wrong. Everybody was on Georgia, really, it seemed like. Uh, Notre Dame is laying 12.5 at home against Virginia. And Grant, I kind of like Notre Dame to win, by, to win by two touchdowns in this one. They know they can't lose anymore. Granted, they, they're probably, I mean, they're going to have to get some help to make the playoff now, obviously, without a conference title game. But uh, coming back home off a loss against a really good Georgia team, against a Virginia team that I'm not so sure that they can move the ball. I'm not sure if their offense is that good. I know they had a, a game against, uh, gosh, who'd they play last week? I, James Madison, one of those type teams. Old Dominion. Old Dominion, sorry. I think we both, we had this, we had this conversation like a, like a month ago. Right, I think did, maybe did, maybe you said James Matt because like I think Old Dominion upset what no, Tech last year. It was between UMass and Old Dominion. I was saying UMass. Yeah, okay. So I don't know where James Madison came from, but uh, I, I mean I know that was kind of maybe a tune-up game. They're probably very vanilla, knowing that they had Notre Dame on deck. But even before that, they haven't offensively been that good. And, and Notre Dame probably showed a lot against Georgia. So I kind of like Notre Dame minus the points at home in this one. What do you think? I actually lean Virginia in this one. I think Notre Dame is being a little overvalued here. So I think a lot of public money is going to go on Notre Dame just because everyone's all impressed that they didn't get blown out at Georgia. But I didn't really see anything that Notre Dame, outside of a solid defensive effort, 
I Notre Dame didn't do anything on offense that impressed me. They have they they have two really impressive. They have Chase Claypool is a good player, and they have a Cole Komets. Their tight end's a good player as well. Uh, but they can't they can't push the ball down the field. Um, I'm not even sure they're capable of doing it. I know Georgia is a good team, but um, no, I, I lean Virginia here just because I think uh, I think Notre Dame is being a little overvalued right now, and I think 12 and a half is is kind of a lot to give to the number 18 team in the country, and Notre Dame is not incredibly you know they're not great on offense, so I like the I I think Virginia can definitely cover that. All right, next game is USC at Washington. And I, I, I like it. I kind of like this one, too. And it's a, a bigger number than I would like it to be. But I, I can't see myself taking USC. I've been, you know, I'm in, like, the yo-yo on USC. I've been on them whenever I should be off them, and I've been off them whenever I should be on them. So, you know, take that information. I mean, I was on them. When they uh, they lost to BYU, I was off them against Utah last week. Actually, on the podcast, though, I think we were both on USC, but then I switched it when I learned more about it and did more research, and I should have just taken my initial thoughts. But initially here on Wednesday night as we record, I like Washington minus the 10. Washington's laying 10 at home. I don't think USC's seen a team like this yet. I think Utah kind of stinks. Sorry, Utah. Uh, so, that that's yeah, it's a, it's a nice win for them, but... Utah's offense isn't very good. I think Washington's got a better offense. I think Washington's defense is going to be better than anything that USC has seen so far. I don't like that. I mean, 10's a lot, but I have a tough time backing USC here. I know that they have some quarterback problems. I don't know if Slovis is going to play. I know their third string came in and played really well against Utah, but uh, it was a weird box score game. Utah dominated the box score and still lost somehow. So I like Washington minus 10. What do you think? Yeah, I lean towards Washington as well, and it's mostly just because, and this is only if I have to pick the game, it's only just because, yeah, USC is so Jekyll and Hyde, I just don't know what I'm going to get with them. Um, I mean, yeah, I was watching watching the game last week because I, I was on Utah in that game. Actually, I switched my pick at the last second to go to Utah, and then Keaton Slovis gets hurt like on the third play of the game. And and he was fine, like he wasn't dead or anything. So I kind of I kind of fist pumped a little bit, thinking, well, this bet's in the bag. USC's third string quarterback against one of the best defenses in the country. And then, well, what do you know? USC's third string quarterback is like better than their second string quarterback. <laughs> so so that's cool. Um, but yeah, I I was, don't know. Yeah, that was an this, annoying game. I, I'm assuming Gosh. this guy probably his very first career road start, uh, going up against a, a Washington team that has lost at home already this year. Uh, it was such but, a weird circumstance against Cal when they had a huge weather delay and they didn't kick off until like like eleven or twelve o'clock at night and they played into the middle. And so I mean, it was a, such a weird situation that I think that that's relevant. I think you take that into account. And you know, Washington knows they that was their mulligan and they may not have anything left and they they got to win. They got to win impressively. So so I am a little yeah. if you know, gun to my head, I, I would I would lean Washington here. But this is this is a game I'll. Even you know when I'm actually picking games for real this week, this is a game I'm probably going to pass on. Uh, I just I, I don't have a good feel for USC at what uh, whatsoever, and I'm also kind of emotionally against them as well. So I think that sometimes clouds my judgment. Um, and also USC's receivers are spectacular, and Washington has I mean four new starters in the secondary. I know it's their fourth game, but you know that could be a factor. So I, this is a game that I I lean Washington, but I would completely stay away from. 
All right, K-State at Oklahoma State. The Cowboys are laying four and a half right in what uh, Bill Simmons, the sports guy, would call the Vegas zone. Uh, one of those lines where it's it's not three, it's not seven. It's Vegas isn't sure where to go with it, so they'll just put it right in the middle of there, so four and a half points. And Grant, i got to tell you, I, I'm going to lean Kansas State. I, I There's no way I'm betting against Chris Kleiman and his bunch right now. No way. I mean, Kansas State came into Stillwater a couple years ago and, and beat them. So, and that was with Bill Snyder. So, I, I mean, Oklahoma State's going to be very aware of Kansas State. They're not going to sneak up on them like they did a couple of years ago. But, I, I mean, I'm getting points with a, with a very well-coached team that, that should have beaten Mississippi State by multiple scores. But because of dumb turnovers, they only won by a touchdown. Grant, you could say, well, dumb turnovers, that you, that's, that's a thing. I mean, that, that definitely hurts them. I mean, that's fair. That's fair, but uh, Oklahoma State's defense probably isn't quite as good as Mississippi State's defense. So I'm going to lean. I don't like because I do like Oklahoma State a lot too. I think it's a really good team, and they're coming off a loss. They're gonna they're gonna want to come out and, and come out strong and get a get a win over Kansas State. But I'm going to lean plus the four and a half with Kansas State. What about you? I actually lean the other direction, um, and a lot of this is because I I have kind of sensed quite a bit of public attention on Kansas State in this particular game. And that's just today doing my research or starting off on my research. Um, I like Oklahoma State at home going up against a defense, Lee, that has not seen any sort of dynamic offense or dynamic playmakers thus far. Um, And I think Kansas State's probably going to struggle with Oklahoma State's speed and their skill on offense. Um, I I I don't think this game's going to be a blowout, but I think this is a game, you know, that that Oklahoma State is going to win, like 38 to 24 or something like that. Um, I, I just... Kansas State going up against superior talent. I'm always going to take the superior talent. All right. Next game, Ohio State is on the road at Nebraska. And, you know, a month ago, this probably looked a lot more of a uh, an, an attractive game. But Nebraska's has been fine. Uh, they're not ranked. Ohio State's minus 17 and a half on the road at Nebraska. I've seen Nebraska play just once, honestly, Grant, and that was their their first game when they struggled with gosh who was it south alabama south alabama and i was on south alabama that game uh but you know nebraska they they should have beaten colorado i mean nebraska should be 4-0 but i mean they okay i'm looking at their they barely beat illinois last week oh boy it was a uh that was a weird game nebraska outgained them by nearly 400 yards um it was uh it, it was a turnover they nebraska fumble lost four fumbles okay and, well, and here's the deal. Yeah, Illinois yeah. scored like on all of them. I, I I can't I can't not bet Ohio State. I I've been so impressed by Ohio State so far. Uh, I've been Justin Fields has exceeded my expectations. I think Ryan Day it, clearly is doing something right, and the defense for Ohio State's been so good. And I know Ohio State's on the road, so. That's difficult, but they went on the road a couple weeks ago against Indiana, a place where they've had some issues kind of in the last, I don't know, five, ten years, playing somewhat closest games where it's close to the spread, and they just beat the crap out of Indiana. I know Nebraska is much better than Indiana, but I, to me, this is Ohio State. I mean, State do we pass, know that? So- we don't know that. Would you wait? We don't. Wait, we don't know that. Ne- we don't know that Indiana. We don't know that Nebraska is much better than Indiana. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm just assuming based off of coach and. I think I mean, Adrian Martinez is solid, but uh, I, to me, this is no, Ohio State or pass, so I'm going to lean Ohio State minus the points. Yeah, Lee, today I was talking with a coworker who is also into sports betting, and we were asking, we were hypothetically asking, 
how high would that number have to get to where we wouldn't take Ohio State? And um, we both sort of agreed it would have to be around like 28 for us not to take Ohio State. Um, wow, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, I, this is, a, this is about as, as solid of a like as I've had this season, and that's Ohio State for sure. I, I just, I, I've seen quite a bit of Nebraska. I've seen quite a bit of Ohio State. These two teams are playing completely different sports right now. Like, Ohio State, based off, is 40 points better than Nebraska, based off of what we've seen so far. I mean, this this might get really ugly. Especially if Ohio State's motivated, which I don't know why they wouldn't be. I mean, they're going to be, they might be kind of doubted, even though they're 70 and a half point favorites, but they're on the road. So anytime you're on the road, you're going to have a little bit of doubt. So, yeah, we'll see. Final game, Washington State at Utah. This is uh, Utah, minus five and a half. This is a throw-your-hands-up game. What are you going to get from both these teams, each coming off of just devastating losses? Utah at home. I I don't like Utah's quarterback. I couldn't even tell you his name. I forgot. Tyler he's Hundley. Not a very, he just, he's not a particularly good throw over the football. I know people will try to tell you that he is for some reason. He's not. Uh, he's, so he's not very dynamic. So I don't like Utah's offense. Obviously, Washington State's got a good offense, but against you know utah with a pretty good defense i i i don't know i i'm gonna lean washington state plus the points just because i want the points and i don't like utah that much but i'm afraid my emotions are getting the best of me because i'm so annoyed by that utah loss but uh i'm I'm, i'll probably pass on this game but i'm gonna if i if i had to play it i'm gonna play washington state plus the points yeah i lean wazoo as well um Utah really struggled to to cover USC's receivers last week, and Washington State has some pretty darn good receivers. And I just I I, I kind of like the the team that can complete forward passes over the team that can't. And I, I'm not saying Wazoo is going to win, but yeah, if you're if you're giving me the five and a half points, I'll go ahead and take them. All right, I got to get rolling here. Good show today. That's it for us. Enjoy OU Texas Tech, despite the game being an 11 a.m. kickoff in Norman this week. We'll be back Monday, ready to talk all about Saturday's action. So for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.